Time and again, the world bears witness to truths seldom said. Lend an ear. We promise enlightened, informed conversation. My name is Robert, and this is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. Very interesting guest today, a special guest intact, Mr. Larry Bubla, professional baseball player, Detroit organization, a man of many interests and many successes. Welcome to Seldom Said, Larry. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure, I can assure you. Can we start out with some personal background, who you are, where you've been, what you've done, and what's brought you to this time and place? You know, the background uh, from the standpoint of baseball, uh, you know, I didn't go to the beach until I was 16, uh, so it's just practice. Uh, You know, I was at St. John's. I played baseball and basketball for St. John's. I was an accounting major, uh, graduated, drafted by the Tigers, I was academic All-American who's who and first-team All-American baseball. Um, My life has taken me in a lot of different directions, and I'd like to think I've learned some lessons that uh, if I could share them with your audience, I'd be glad to. It's marvelous. It's an incredibly eclectic background. If you were to be speaking to a young player now who had similar skill sets as you did, was going to college important, or would the bonus money and playing professionally immediately have been more important? It depends on how much money you get. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, Major League Baseball would prefer to give you a lot of money uh, early and not have you be too smart. Uh, I think in my case it kind of worked against me. But you know, regardless, uh, for the young kids today, uh, you have a dream. Uh, you got to work it. And the only way to get there is to work harder than the next guy. And that's the story in life and anything. I mean, I can relay a couple stories that, you know, it's all about perseverance. I mean, if you want, when I was in high school, I didn't make the freshman team because the coach told me I was too small. Next summer, I grew six, seven inches. I came back. I was all city. He said, where were you last year? I said, you cut me. <laughs> I didn't give up. That's the point. You know, and a number of times in, you know, in, in my career, uh, you know, I had to do the same thing. You know, so the lesson is, again, to the young kids out there, uh, if you want it, do it. And, you know, sometimes you make good decisions and bad and I'll share something with them. Uh, I was three weeks away from going to the Air Force Academy. My mother worked very hard to be able to get me in, because you know the process. Uh, when I told her I was going to St. John's to play baseball, she didn't talk to me for a month. But if you have a, a dream, uh, you got to stick to it and believe it when no one else does. It's marvelous he said. I couldn't agree with you more. I am curious, uh, your opinion regarding the following. There was a very interesting statement made by Ichiro Suzuki, that great Japanese ball player. He was asked, are you a great ball player? He said, no, I just work harder than anyone else. Are you of the opinion that if one works hard, they can achieve? Or do you accept the premise that there are simply people who are natural in physics, chemistry, or baseball and they simply are a step ahead. Some people are gifted. Some people are natural athletes. Um, they may not have to work harder or they achieve success earlier. Uh, but in life and in sports, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you can be you know, great today, and if you don't continue to work at your skill set, you know, then you're going to lose whatever edge or advantage you have. A mutual associate of ours, uh, Frank Amoroso, he constantly used the phrase a Damascus moment. Is there an epiphanal moment, a Damascus moment in your own career where you said to yourself, I played soccer, I've gone swimming, I love to surf, I love to do this, that, and the other thing, but baseball now is paramount, my focus. 
Was there such a moment that you can remember? I think I always had that as a goal and a dream. Um, my father didn't understand it. Uh, he played professional basketball. Uh, he couldn't understand why I didn't play basketball. Um, but I think I played because, you know, everybody in the neighborhood growing up played baseball. You know, so how does that translate? I don't know. Taking that question a step further, would you counsel a young man who had superb soccer skills to avoid football and concentrate on soccer or to play for his love? You know, that gets into the thing of, I think, um, being hurt and trying to stay away from a very physical contact sport. Uh, I don't know if, I don't know what I would do based on, uh, on that decision. You know, I, I've had, I have two boys, uh, neither one of them, uh, chose baseball, mm. you know, so, uh, I can't answer that question. I can appreciate that. I have children and grandchildren and no one chose baseball. One wonders where the game is going. Bringing up that football question, do you feel, given that you're a father, that it's not a game that families will predispose their sons to play and it will dry up and blow away as perhaps baseball has? I think that's the trend today. I can tell you when I was at St. John's, we used to play uh, touch football against the football team and the baseball team always beat them. And the coach always wanted us to play for the football team and Coach Kaiser said, if you do, I'll take your scholarship away. How much physicality is involved in any sport? How much aggressiveness, that bit of testosterone pushing the issue? Oh, it's it, in every sport, um, there is always the intimidation factor and uh, trying to be on top in every sport. In every sport, uh, people look for an edge, regardless of what it is. And being stronger and being able to do your sport, whether it's strength in your hands or being six foot six, 300 pounds in football, um, you know, work, work the advantage you have. I can tell you my career uh, took off in college after I snuck into the weight room and I was working out with the shot putters and the, uh, the sprinters. Before that, you weren't allowed to weight room. <laughs> and if the coach caught me in a weight room, he made me run laps. Now, one can discern the physicality of working out, of strengthening your body. Do you feel, Larry, that you could teach aggressiveness, teach ego, teach the desire to win, perhaps at all costs, as people seem to predispose themselves to? Can emotions be taught? Absolutely. And um, I think what happens is you modify it and... That's what happens when you challenge somebody to be their best. You see if, you know, if they have it in them. You know, it's not the, you know, the dog in the fight, it's the fight in the dog. Mm. You know, some people, you know, that's their obsession and that's what they'll do. Uh, I'm sure Frank Amoroso had to do it over again. He would have played organized professional baseball instead of going to law school. That's interesting has happened you know and a lot of it has to do with staying healthy you know and going full circle I mean nothing is forever my career was ended with a rotator cuff injury back then they couldn't fix it so how do you you know how do you prevent it well I think today we're a little smarter but how many guys are on a disabled list indeed I remember speaking to a young man who, as a student in ninth grade, was six foot four, very tall, senior. He was six foot five inches tall, 287 pounds. 
Has this idea of enhancement gotten totally out of hand? I think it's relative to the sport. Um, Baseball, soccer, where there is a lot of technique, finesse, and it's a mental game more than people realize. Um, I think hand and eye coordination, say in baseball, is more important than the physical strength. So I think it balances off. Ideally, if you have both, well, then you're a superstar. Mm. You know, so not everybody is blessed. Bobby Fischer, the great uh, chess player, said that he could guess 27 moves ahead. Have you ever met someone who could guess six innings ahead? Uh, guess six innings ahead or plan six innings ahead. Plan on the basis of his intuition. Uh, I think there are, have been a number of managers that could do that. Um, you know, two come to mind that I've had. Uh, I played for Billy Martin. Although he was a drunk, he, he, was, he was bright. He, he really understood. And Jim Lee Leland, who was a personal friend, uh, had that ability, too. And it's a people thing, too. You know, how do you motivate people? in any business, and baseball is a business. Um, maximize the talent. And if it means that you have to plan ahead based on, say, the Yankees, a depleted bullpen, marginal starting pitches, overworking the starters, it all comes back. But sometimes you make decisions or those decisions are made to you, made for you by the circumstance. You know, and the talking heads on TV, most of them don't get it. But they have to say something, so they just keep talking. When they speak of a pitcher being taken out because they say he's done his 100 pitches and so forth, what is the initial reaction that should be made when a person says, I can't give you any more? I have nothing left. Take him out, because if he doesn't believe in himself, Uh why should you? Okay, well said. The best competitors, you cannot get the ball away from them. You can't get them out of the game. Give me the ball. (laughs) Sometimes, that's why a manager gets paid. Sometimes he knows what the physical limits are, and he knows the history of the velocity is changing, his arm location is dropping down. You know, there are a lot of indicators when you watch, say, a pitcher. uh, You can tell when he's starting to get tired, or a good manager could and should. Interesting. You wouldn't want to go to a ball game with me because I can probably tell you at least 60% of what's going to happen before it happens and why it's happening. That's intriguing. Now, can you elaborate on that? That's an incredible statement. I believe you. Knowing you, I believe you. But what is it based upon? Your intuition, your experience, everything wrapped up into one? Well, I think it's experience. Um... For instance, you know, if a pitcher isn't, um, his pitches are consistently high. When he gets tired, he's not bending his back. He's not following through. Um, If he has a blister on his finger, he's not able to get the rotation on the ball. Uh, All of these little things that seem insignificant, you know, he used to do this. All of a sudden, he's, he's losing it. Uh, I, I believe that's the theory behind too many pitches in the game, you know, and the 100-pitch count. Because, you know, baseball is a long season. And, you know, how do you stay fresh when you go into a tournament at the end of the year? You know, so it's, it's like anything. You, you know, you have to have some balance. How do you eliminate the boredom? It would seem that if... One had so many starts as a pitcher at some point. Uh, 
my God, I've done this yesterday. I'm going to do it next week. I'd like to just go to the beach. How does one prime from those blases that come on in any life, business or athletic? Well, I think it's relative. It's, you know, it, it's, it's what motivates you as a person, what's important, uh, your competitive nature. Uh, for me, the best thing you can do is tell me I can't do it. Mm. Because that's enough motivation to work hard to prove you're wrong. Interesting. Getting through to... You know, uh, back to asking me about coaching and whatever, uh, for years, um, I would go back and speak to uh, bonus babies, trying to educate them as far as what finances were and how fast their money was going to disappear. And in most instances, it didn't work. You can't put an old head on young shoulders. So the average person who is involved in professional sports with these incredible contracts, in your opinion, hasn't the slightest idea where his money's going and what he's doing with it? Uh, Good-hearted people most times. And, you know, everybody wants a piece of you. And it's very, very difficult to say no to friends. I can appreciate that. We're within a minute and a half of our, of our first break. It's usually indicative of a good program, but it's going by quickly. I'd like to, in the second segment, begin talking about the business aspect of baseball, something that you and I had discussed, trying to find out where it's going, where it's been, and how it's approached really as more Chase Manhattan Bank than something altruistic for the purpose of enjoyment. Baseball, as you played it, I get the impression was something that was worthy of your love. And just a, a quick response in that I do have to make the break, but am I speaking a truism? I think you're right on. I think um, we can have some very interesting points as far as baseball finances and being entertainment and how they bridge the gap. Okay, we'll, we'll come back with that thought. We're about to have our first station break. My name is Robert. The program is Seldom Said. Be back in a moment. This is Seldom Said with Robert Amato. Welcome back. This is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. Special guest, Mr. Larry Bubla, professional baseball player, and given our conversation the last few minutes, in truth, a guru of the life process. Welcome back, Larry. And I would like to put the question to you. In regard to sport, per se, we live in a country that's very business-oriented, particularly now in the present time and place. Many people say that you can play at baseball. You can't play at banking. Amateur sports seem to be something one can play at. Professional sports seem more the business. Would you agree, and if so, why? Well, my opinion is sports are both. First, sports are entertainment. And as a result of being popular, they are financially rewarding, as they always have been, so they're a business. So I don't know exactly where you want to take that question in relation to business. Uh, finance is not a sport. It's a profession. Medicine is not only a business, uh, it's a humanitarian way of looking at the world. So uh, sports, yeah, sports are a business. So one, in a sense, should be aware of what they're getting into as opposed to simply 
for altruistic reasons, saying I enjoy this and I, it's what I intend to do for the rest of my days, there needs to be some business acumen and preparation, a good agent. question was raised to me on a personal level a few weeks ago. Someone involved in another sport posited the question, how does one find a good agent? How does one put their check in the hands of a total stranger or someone at least they've investigated and hope for the best? What advice would you give them? If you're that good, the good agents will find you, but a lot of it goes through the various coaches and experiences you had as an amateur. There's a difference between amateur sports and professional sports. Professional sports are a business where amateur sports are more about uh, the passion and the love for the game. You still love for the game when you play and you compete as a professional, but you're being compensated totally different than when you're in school or working to get to the level of being a professional. Angelo Dundee, the great boxing trainer, One said you can play baseball, you can play football, play basketball. You cannot play boxing. When you played, were you literally playing at it, or was this a day-by-day profession? You're only as good as your last at bat, and you have to practice. And, you know, any of the acronyms that would be brought out, you're only as good as you practice, uh, it's all cumulative. You know, you don't become Muhammad Ali by just talking. Again, you got to work harder than everybody else. If you encounter that self of yourself at the age of 15, 16, with dreams of progression in the professional ranks, what advice would you give them? What is the most important lesson, life, competitive sport, basically existing, have given you that you'd love to share? I think at that age, you have no concept of reality. Uh, I think at that age, uh, my advice would be enjoy the moment, work your dream, everything else pretty much will take care of itself. And try to keep your eyes and ears open and weigh all opinions to see what works best for you. You mentioned Billy Martin, and he certainly seemed like an individual who said what was on his mind. Some players liked it, some didn't. The newspapers suddenly did. It was good copy. How much honesty should a person in competitive life not only sport, but life itself. How much honesty should they be given? I think honesty is the best way of clarity because when you're not honest, you don't know the direction where you're going to go. Billy Martin liked you or disliked you, uh, and he made it perfectly clear. So that worked for him. I think the present athletes are a little more coddled than the ones of my year. Uh, so it, you know, it's 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 an a, an emotional game, and you're dealing with young kids' emotions. How could, for the purpose of argument, I, as an older man? deal with young people making 10 times the amount of money I am and expect them to really listen? Can you really coach someone who is really at that position economically in life, or do you simply try to direct them? That's a a delicate balance. Billy Martin always had a problem dealing with anybody who made more money than him. Uh, But to the present-day athletes, um, I think it's a matter of trust. And you don't get trust, you earn it, and you earn it every day. And a manager 
who has the individual's best interest at heart and explains to them the reasons for things, good, bad, or otherwise, come into my office. The office is open. We got to talk. Um, I think it's all about communication. And I think it's, it's possible regardless of what the financial scenario is. I mean, it, does it really matter about Reggie Jackson or Babe Ruth or Tom Siva? It's interesting. Joe DiMaggio was once asked, if you lived in the modern age and played in the modern age, how much would you make? And he just smiled and said they'd have to make me a part owner. Do you feel that these multi-million dollar contracts across the board in any sport have gotten totally out of hand? I think it's always been commensurate with the profitability of the club. Um, Huge bonuses and huge salaries are the obvious. The hidden is how much the organization or the franchise is worth. Baseball is a unique business. Uh, You can buy a team for $50 million, show it in the red for 10 years, and sell it for $500 million. There's not many businesses you can do that. So uh, are the athletes overpaid? Probably. But how much do you pay for a ticket? Who's supporting it? You know, just like anything in life, any employee is looking for his fair share. And sometimes it's disproportionate. It's very pointedly said. There are a lot of critiques now of uh, major sports, especially basketball, where individuals are making so much that they're making as much as the rest of the team. We live in intriguing times. A lot of that has to do with a free agency clause. Has free agency changed the game? And for the purpose of illuminating the story, the question, can you explain the struggle for free agency in your own words? Well, I played before free agency, uh, and it's different. Kurt Flood changed all of that for everybody, and everybody should be able to donate to his legacy uh, who receives the money they get today. Uh, But again, it's the evolution of the business. Um, You know, I played, I, I, you were, you were owned by the club. You did what you told or you were blackballed. Different. Free agency is fairer, I guess. Kurt Flood often used the analogy of describing the situation as being a chattel slave, being owned and operated and directed and controlled by another. Was that going too far? Was it that bad? I I can't speak for anybody. Uh, You know, I can only tell you that, uh, you know, for myself, uh, I still don't have my general release. Not that it means anything, but um, I guess it has a way, you know, all businesses have ways of controlling um, how they operate. And this is professional sports ways of controlling things. I think maybe it's like anything in this world. uh, The pendulum swings in different directions. Sometimes it's pro owner. Sometimes it's pro athlete. And how do you, you know, how do you make it work? There's that incredibly poignant HBO special about Kurt Flood, where he's visiting spring training for the Cardinals. And he tells a young ball player, do you remember me? I'm Kurt Flood. And it just strikes you. It hits you between the eyes. It's a tear not shed. Do you feel he's been given the credit by professional sport in general for what he did? Probably not. Because a game of opportunity, it's today. Yeah, thank you for, you know, getting a glove with five fingers. Uh, We take that for granted. 
And I think to answer your question, I think the professional athletes take for granted uh, the fact of free agency because it wasn't always that way. We live in a country of so much diversity and increasingly so. Did you find segmentation, separation on teams? That story told to Roberto Clemente when he was only at ease when someone was drafted by the Pirates who also spoke Spanish. It put him at ease. I can understand that, his own native tongue. But did you find diversity being eliminated, sports being the great ameliorator? I never really had the experience of having to deal with diversity. Um, I think it's more apparent today. Um, you know, when I played, uh, the numbers of whites in baseball or Hispanics or blacks were totally different. So uh, everybody needs to be heard. Do you feel the old Negro Leagues should be open to equal enjoyment in the place in the Hall of Fame? Why not? I agree. I agree. Well, well said. Pointed, rather short and to the point, but true. True. It must have been a difficult time to love the game and not been able to play it at the highest level. It's extraordinary. Baseball seems to be almost a laboratory for social change. Do you agree with that? I don't think I'm that smart. Um, I think it shows differences and competition refines those differences. And what works out as a result of it, you know, could be your words. A few years back, teachers didn't have a union. Now they do, and there's been criticism of it. Baseball players now have a players' association. Is there a place for unionization in all major sports? I think for any business to be successful, everyone involved, from the president to the porter, needs to be acknowledged and rewarded. And when there's too much greed and the pile on one side gets too large, that's where the problems come. Any successful business, whether it's finance or otherwise, when everybody is relatively happy with their compensation, the place runs smoothly. Where were I they? Think, Please continue. I think the We're once again approaching the second station break. It can always be frustrating when the conversation is really taking off. One would think then with unionization, people I've known quite well were very involved, AFL, CIO, Teamsters. The ultimate goal is picketing and strike. Is that something that's viable? There have been labor stoppages in professional sports, but is that viable as an option, as a fair choice? Is it viable for the owner of the plan, the fan himself, or the city? Would you accept that if one has to go in that direction, you would advise it? I would say it should be avoided at all cost because nothing good comes from being pushed into a corner where you have no other alternative but to strike. Mm. The best agreement is the one where both sides leave unhappy or not totally satisfied. Interesting, interesting. Do you feel we'll ever live a day, and again, we're a minute and a half from the first, for the second break, actually, but will we live in a day where I, as a child, being an altar boy in church, could find himself giving communion to Gil Hodges because he lived on Linden Boulevard or Church Avenue or Flatbush. 
Will there be a day for that homegrown team that remains consistent over the years? I kind of doubt it. I think the availability of information is altering everything. The availability of information, the preparation, the thoughts, the process, it almost seems like we're breeding a generation of bankers who have strong right arms, people who can place themselves either in line for their check or at the plate or in the goal or throwing the pass. One wonders what it's done to our attitude toward playing the game. Someone I do know still has Gil Hodge's glove and treasures it because she was his babysitter and she knew him over the years. Marvelous thought. We'll be back in a moment. This is Seldom Said. This is Seldom Said with Robert Amato. Welcome back. This is an unfortunate circumstance in that we're about to approach our last segment. Very interesting conversation with Mr. Larry Bubla, professional baseball player, activist, person who's very aware of the circumstance and the situation in modern life, particularly on playing fields. Larry, hypothetical scenario, I'm average. I'm playing on the baseball team. I'm never going to be a 300 hitter. I'm going to hit basically well enough to perhaps make a high minor or a major league bench. You're my player rep. How do you approach me? What advice can you give? I'm not LeBron James. I'm not Mickey Mantle. I'm not Frank Gifford. I'm simply a guy who's made it by pure effort, by dint of application. How are you going to contour my career and my approaches to it? Make the most of it. Be positive. You may get hit with lightning and you'll never know it. People mature at different times. Do the best you can to maximize your opportunity. The golden ring is only there usually once or twice in your lifetime. Be ready to take it if and when it presents itself. I would imagine many have often wondered, I know I have, how a ball player manages his family when he can be called up one morning and told, well, you've done three years in New York and now you're going to Pittsburgh. Is that uh, vagabond nature part of the circumstance and scenario for most professional athletes? I think it's very difficult for a professional athlete with the travel and everything that's involved today to be married, to stay married. It puts a tremendous strain when you're in a different city every three days. It, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't recommend it to my kids. Indeed. That's rather pointed and rather honest. I can certainly understand how there are difficulties inherent in living that life. Then is that hypothetical rep, what are you going for? Your team, the place, the finances, all three? Is one aspect of it more important than the others? Or are they all one and the same? Well, I think they're intermixed, but I think the problem that you have is the pressure, say, in baseball. You know, you strike out seven times and you get three hits. You're good, but you still haven't succeeded. And the pressure that goes with that, and again, you're only as good as your last at bat. And you can't take the last one with you, good, bad, or otherwise, because tomorrow is a clean state and you start all over. So, you know, it, it's very, very uh, emotionally straining to be able to stay sharp, especially over a long season like baseball. And distractions are necessary, but they really only get in the way. 
I guess you have to have a mindset of discipline to be able to keep everything in balance. And when it's just you, you can handle it. But when, you know, you've got a family and certain situations happen in the family, which is life, it just adds to the burden. Richard Dreyfus, a great actor, was once asked, you're a star, and he interrupted the interviewer and said, I never wanted to be. I wish I were not. I wish I was simply an actor. Athletes are becoming stars, perhaps always have been. How does one balance 80,000 people yelling your name and then standing on a corner of the rain looking for a cab? The void is mind-blowing. Give you, for instance, played in South America, in Colombia, in Winterball. There was 100,000 people in the game. And why the game started early on a Sunday morning, I never knew. At a quarter to one, the 100,000 people left. There wasn't a person in, not even somebody to put the numbers on the scoreboard. They went across the street to the soccer stadium because Pele was playing. You know, so sometimes the, the lack of noise is deafening. And, and if to be able to block out the crowd noise is uh, a very, very difficult thing to do sometimes. There is that story, perhaps apocryphal, but I think not. It's been in a number of biographies of Mickey Mantle, how he had a recurring nightmare. He heard the crowd... He heard the cheers. He walked around Yankee Stadium, but he couldn't find an open door. It was something he woke up to in a sweat. Do you feel there should be counseling for people in professional sports once they leave? Absolutely. Unfortunately, it's all about W's and L's and counseling or attention to physical disabilities uh, needs to come a long way. At what point then would you advise someone to just walk away if indeed they can? What critical point should be reached? It was back to, you know, taking away someone's dream and, and what is it worth to that individual? It's, it's a decision that you can make a suggestion um, but circumstance will dictate the outcome. You go to certain universities, particularly in the Midwest, not to be overtly critical of an area, but it seems to be the case in a number of universities sponsored by state agencies. There is almost an attitude of majoring in the sport. What advice would you give to the athlete who's given a free college education should he major in economics, accounting, business, English, bio, whatever he wishes to? Should he pursue a second career as his backup to his dream career? Again, it comes down to the individual, but it's just like anything. Uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And remember, all sports, all athletes, eventually the game is over and you got to go on to do something else. If you make enough money in your career playing and don't squander it, the second choice may not be necessary. But it doesn't happen to very many. So, yeah, uh, have a little balance in your life. But, you know, coming out of uh, the ghetto or the lower middle class, how do you tell that? How does that, how does that work? How does it add up? Mm. Not everybody can go to Stanford or Duke and play sports. Indeed. Some incredible difficulties that are inherent in pursuing this lifestyle. I would imagine it's true of really anything that involves reaching for a pinnacle, reaching for something that stands out, 
The one thing, though, that strikes most is the fact that you can be comparatively young and a has-been. And dealing with that must be extraordinarily difficult. I'm 29. I can't play any longer, and I've played since I was eight. My gosh, what should I do? What is your reaction to the fact that there are those in this life who are still trying to make it at 30, no, they won't, and have to deal with being finished with their love before most people even think about retirement? I think everyone that's in that situation goes through some sort of depression, and it's how you deal with it. Again, um, friends and family uh, help you through those moments. I call it, you know, riding the roller coaster. Eventually, the roller coaster has a free fall and a drop, and you hit bottom. How do you get up? You know, and my theory in life is, you know, if I can look up, I can get up. Ah. Nicely put. So, you know, again, it's it's part of it's part of reality, and baseball is a reality unto itself. Should professional sports teams teach players to deal with the life of being a player? almost approaching it as a second major, professional sports, and how I fit into it. I think it would be more akin to a requirement on a college level. I don't think professional sports has the inclination of doing that. It's not in their best interest. A while back on this program, uh, I interviewed... uh, one of the owners of the Israeli national baseball team, and he was almost playing the game as it's described in Billy Ball in the money game, just placing people as if they're chess pieces. He was a good man. He cared for his players, and they certainly cared for him, and the results were positive. Is that the direction we're going in? Computerized sports, you fit. So I'll place you there. Everything in our world is based off statistics, almost to the point where the statistics are more important than the task at hand. Um, The understanding of where you fit, I think, is going to be critical for all sports to survive. With information coming as fast, as it does at all of the young kids today. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult balance. How would you recommend baseball to some degree? I know we both agree, and we've earlier said in this interview that it'll never be what it was, but it's no longer at center stage. If it can't return to that place of national prominence where Brooklyn stopped during the World Series, what would bring it back, at least to some degree, a proclivity of acceptance, of perhaps in a child's mind, awe? I think it's friends and family again uh, to be able to slow things down to the point where what is really important and You know, when you're chasing a dollar sign, uh, the second part is very, very hard to have it work out. Uh, The days of the Brooklyn Dodgers, I don't, I don't think that we'll ever, I don't think we'll ever see that again. And again, the premise is baseball and all sports are a business. They're entertainment. And when the kids can go into their cell phone or computer and be entertained and occupied. It's very difficult. 
that leads to the penultimate question. Can you in some way inculcate love of an act, whether it be sports, business, or the arts? Can you develop that feeling so that a person simply doing it for altruistic reasons, he's simply embracing it, making it part of his own? I think that comes from your upbringing. And again, the closeness of your relationship with who that dominant or influencing person is in your life. If you're fortunate to have have that, then the balance is there and then the sky's the limit. Uh, if not, there are adjustments, compromises, and fatalities. Perhaps approaching the end of this program, we're within three minutes of our final bell. Can you share a number of your memories with us? I know you'd rather talk about the issues rather than the personalities. But in point of fact, Larry, things that uh, are memories that stand out in your mind that you treasure. Wait, I like to focus on some of the stuff where you can laugh at yourself because of whatever reason. Um, you know, uh, one scenario that I find humorous that I didn't at the time, playing in the Pan-American Games in 1969 in the Dominican Republic championship game, Castro threw me the ball. <laughs> After walking around the stadium and then booing the national anthem, yours truly didn't take it too well. So when he threw me the ball, I spit on the ground. <laughs> when I came to the plate, they threw the ball at my head. Oh. That can't be made up, really. <laughs> Unbelievable. But again, a different time. And again, uh, if I had to do it again, I don't think I would have done that. But, you know, what does a young kid know? Yeah. What do we do? Agreed. You know? Agreed. So you, you, you have to laugh sometimes at yourself. You know, you, you think you're a big shot, and then all of a sudden, some circumstance, you get the rug pulled out from under you, uh, and then reality sets in. You know, there's a number of those situations that I really can't go into over the radio. <laughs> I can appreciate that. What are your plans for the future, Larry? You've done so many things. Seems to be just starting for you. I've been retired now for about 17 years. And you have to have a purpose. And whatever that is, whether it's having a radio show or writing a book or having a, a minor league team, or in my case, uh, you know, rebuilding the house that Hurricane Sandy destroyed, uh, as long as you have your health, keep busy. You know, we said it before, you know, you'd rather burn out than rust away. And if you don't keep moving, the arthritis that we all have, and especially an athlete, uh, doesn't get better. You know, you got to keep moving. Let's end it on that positive note. For those of you in the listening audience, if you have a glove, put it on. If you have sneakers, wear them. We'll see you on the track or on the field. Thank you, Larry. This has been Seldom Said. My name is Robert. <laughs>